coming up on the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. How aware are you of what you're bringing into your role as leader of your home, leader of your marriage, leader of your children? Are you bringing in the good, the bad, the evil, what you liked, what you disliked? Have you ever thought about that? You know, you tell me you want to be this type of dad, this type of leader, but you're holding on to these false beliefs or these mindsets that are going to get in your way. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. J.R. Flatter here with my co-host, Lucas. Hmm. As always, backing me up is my millennial brain. And we're honored to have a distinguished guest here today, John Wayne Mullins. What a great name. I'm sure you hear that a lot. Oh, yeah. Actually, ironically, I was doing some research on him this weekend. So I know a little bit more about him than I did before the weekend. So uh, just to remind everybody why we're here We're talking to any leaders of complex organizations that are competing and succeeding in this hyper-competitive 21st century labor market. And Lucas and I strongly believe to do that, you need a coaching style of leadership within a coaching culture. And so that's what we're talking about. But beyond that, it's a free-for-all, John. So jump in here and brag about yourself a little bit. Oh, I certainly appreciate that, JR and Lucas. Uh, Thank you. Wow, where do I begin? Bragging about myself? or well, I'm in an awesome season of my own growth and development right now. I'm a new dad, and I am a one-year-old, and I am learning a lot, but it's been a lot of fun. The last 22 years, I've, I've served in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserve, and I've worked for the U.S. government. I've worked as a contractor. I, I started my own coaching business, and so I've been in the leadership coaching space for about 12 years. And I thought I knew a thing or two about leadership. And so when I became a dad, I was just like, okay, time to put this to work. And so it's been a great season. And, you know, once I kind of formed into this new season, I realized just how lack of resources there were for a lot of new dads. And so I created a whole new coaching program called Mr. New Dad. And believe it or not, there's a lot of dads out there who don't know what they're doing. And they need the help of a community. And so I created this coaching culture that's centered around new dads. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that was me in 1984. Little baby came and I'm like, man, this is real now. <laughs> what, do, what do we do about it? You want to talk about being on top of your game and what you do, what you say and how you leave. I'll tell you, I showed my son one thing and he started doing it the next day. I'm like, where did you learn that? Oh, that's, that's right. Lead by example, John. Yeah, wait until you're driving your car and you some expletive uh, for a driver who cuts you off. And then for the remainder of the drive home, you'll hear it repeated. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't happen to you, but it certainly happened to me. So uh, leadership development coach, what does that mean to a layman who might not be as familiar as you are? The way that I describe a leadership development coach is he or she is that person who is very creative in asking great questions and learning how to listen to what's really being said and what's oftentimes what's not being said. And so they're really that neutral party who can 
hear what you're saying and they can help you identify where it is you're trying to go and then help you to bridge that gap between, you know, where you are and where you want to be and, and help you start to get unstuck so you aren't so challenged by whatever those challenges are. And so the way that I often describe a coach is to someone who's never worked with a coach is oftentimes we're so familiar with sports coaches and mentors and coaching and speakers and all that. But a coach is someone who can really help you figure things out because you're only going to get yourself so far. Yeah. And I think you often don't see those blind spots that are just blazingly obvious to the rest of the world. And as a coach, we're that facilitator to help you see those blind spots and connect the dots. Absolutely. That's the joy of coaching. I, I'm currently working with an organization right now in the oil and gas industry. I have no experience in that field. And I'm glad I don't because if I did, I would be a little, probably a little bit more tempted to mentor that director or mentor that person because it's like, well, this is the way that I did it, or this is the way you should do it. A coach doesn't do that. And so I often try and work with people that I have no ties to because it, it's easy for me to put that mentoring hat on sometimes. Yeah. We always recommend it. Get a coach as different from you as you can possibly uh, tolerate. Because the moment Lucas or I or you begins to pretend we know what it's like to be in the oil gas industry, or if I pretended to be a Coast Guardsman or a fighter pilot, I've stopped coaching and I'm mentoring now. And that's not what we want to do. And, you know, one of the things that this, this particular client that I've been working with, I'll share this with you and share this with your audience, and it ties back to what we were saying. He told me, you know, at the very beginning, I was very hesitant to work with you because you had no ties to our industry. You didn't know anything about oil and gas. But after two months and realizing, you started asking me basic questions that made me realize that I was missing the fundamentals and the, and the blind spots that I was just like, I took for granted. I was like, that's what coaching does. Yeah. One more thing, Luke, and then I promise I won't step on you again. Because you continue to remind me of things, and it is those fundamentals. All of, We have coaches that are Gen Zs coaching retired senior executives. We have coaches that are civilians, never don't even know what military rank structures are, coaching very senior leaders in the military. And it is a strength. It actually keeps the water clear. So just based on what we're talking about with, you know, having that outsider's perspective and kind of like asking powerful questions. How do you contrast that with like, you've got your niche, for example, like the new fathers, do you approach coaching in that niche in a different way? Or is it kind of just a way to market the coaching engagement? Great question. No, actually, I took everything that I learned from my own leadership development business, my own experience, and I took that into my curriculum. And the very first thing that I start with is vision, which is exactly the same thing I, I start with with organization. I was like, what is your vision? What is your challenge? What are you trying to accomplish? And the same thing with Mr. New Dads, except I, I frame it a little bit differently. And I ask the question, hey, 20 years and 10 years, what kind of dad do you want to be? Who is that guy? What does he do? How does he speak? How does he love? How does he lead himself? How does he lead his family? And so that's, that's, what I've learned, that's got to be the starting point, whether it's with a new dad or with a new client, is getting them to focus on, hey, what is that? What are you trying to accomplish? And the interesting thing is about dads, oftentimes 
a lot of dads don't think that far in advance because they're just trying to get through the here and now, and they're just trying to find their sleep that they lost or serve their wife or whatever that may be. It reminds me, it's the same thing as that brand new executive. You know, he or she's in this new position and they may have the experience to get there, but they may be under underwater. They may be trying to put fires out and they're just, life is so chaotic that sometimes they need that question of, hey, where are you trying to lead your, fa- your, your work family or your team or your organization? I distinctly remember being a young father and just like in the executive world, in our careers, opportunities open and close. And I very distinctly remember being a young dad in my 20s and closing doors for my son that he never open again with regard to sports and academia and other things, scouts, or, you know, if you don't hit those milestones, you're just, the window closes. Actually doing some opportunity cost discussions about, is this investment worth it? Knowing that 30 years later, I might discover it was the wrong thing. So it's a big deal. Heck yeah, it is. So we have a little bit of lead up to becoming a dad, right? Usually nine or so months. Uh, what would you tell a, a dad that's on that one-year runway to the new arrival? Oh, wow. In the one year since I've been leading this program, what I would say is don't feel like you need to do this alone. I've met so many dads who are trying to do the most important job in their lives alone. They're lonely, they're unfulfilled, they don't ask questions, they don't ask for help, they avoid vulnerability. But the minute you put them in a group and start talking about these things, suddenly it's like, oh, you struggle with that too? Or can we talk about that? Or they secretly want it and they don't realize how bad they did. So don't go at life alone. It's, it's the same old philosophy with what John Maxwell would say is, um, you know, if you're lonely at the top, you're doing it wrong. It's the same thing. Don't fall into that trap. Yeah, as I hear you describing that, you almost characteristic by characteristic said coaching, executive coaching, leadership coaching. The similarities are pretty incredible. It really is. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's child is different and every dad is different. What kind of commonalities do they see in the group? And, you know, what? how does that bring that powerful connection that you mentioned earlier, you know, the bouncing ideas off people's heads. What does that look like in the group? Well, in the group setting, I'm, I'm more of the facilitator. And so I bring the topics, I bring the questions, and I allow the group to talk about it. And one of the topics that we often talk about a lot, and it's kind of one of the modules, is mindset. And specifically, and this can tie to leadership too, but when you think about the role of dad, the definition of dad, what does that mean? Like, what was your experience as a father? You know, what did he do? What did he like? What did you dislike? And this is a kicker. This is the coaching. But how aware of you are you of what you're bringing into your role as leader of your home, leader of your marriage, leader of your children? Are you bringing in the good, the bad, the evil, the what you liked, what you disliked? Have you ever thought about that? And so that's when I give them some exercises to think about, hey, you know, you tell me you want to be this type of dad, this type of leader, but you're holding on to these false beliefs or these mindsets that are going to get in your way. Again, it ties back to exactly what I would do with the executive leader is define leadership for me. Define the type of leader that you want to be. You know, if you say you want to serve your people, but you always have a closed door, is that really 
serving your people? Or when's the last time you got out and walked around and talked to people and found out what's going on or what challenges are they're working through and how you can help them? It's the same thing, I believe. I mean, I'm only, I've only been a dad for a year, but it, I'm using these examples and using my own experience as a leadership coach in my parenting. I have a three-year-old. It's like sometimes I want to make him do something, but I'm like, this isn't how I want to behave around him. And I'm just trying to make him do it. And it's like, do the ends justify the means kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But to kind of piggyback on that answer, you know, inside the group, when we share these challenges that we're trying to overcome, you can get poured into, you can talk about that, you can vent, or you can allow someone to kind of pour into you. And so that's kind of ties back to not being afraid to, you know, come to the group or putting yourself in that position where you can grow. So I'm saying on your LinkedIn side, all the, something that we really believe in, and that is the intersection of the personal and the professional. Here we are well into the 21st century. The workplace is changing. People's expectations of their workplace are changing. So we strongly encourage in our coaching and leadership development, encourage that intersection of personal and professional because they're so intertwined, it's impossible to separate them. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. When I was a, a young junior officer, I would stand in the watch floor. And on the watch floor, we would stand two days on, two days off, but we were stand 12-hour shifts. And our retention numbers were down. We were losing people. And so the full-timers had to, you know, suddenly, instead of two straight 12s, we would do three straight 12s. And then we'd have two days notice, and we would go from days to nights. And this happened to me because I was the young guy, you know, on the bottom of the totem pole. When I switched back over two days in a row, I showed up late. And the second day that I showed up late, my lieutenant at the time, he ringed me. And then her duty officer came in and she ringed me. And then she said, what's going on? And I said, well, I'm not sleeping. That's why I'm not showing up. I just went from days that I've been on for six weeks to nights. And now I'm back to days and my, my clock is completely messed up. I'm not sleeping. I can't sleep, but you expect me to be here at, you know, 4.30 in the morning to, to relay the watch. And that insight, just by asking that question, she was like, is it that bad? I was like, yeah, it's that bad. And so I share that as an example of whenever you see somebody, you know, they're showing up late, they're short, they have stress in their life. You don't know what's going on in their life. They could be having the worst day in their life or at home. And oftentimes it's easy to kind of, if you're good at it, you can leave it at home, but oftentimes you don't. And you bring your whole self into work. You have to be aware of what's going on in your people's lives because you're just not getting their professional self. You're getting their whole self. And I guess continuing on that China thought, there's people that are focusing on their career at the expense of their personal life in some respects. How do you coach around that? Like, is it kind of your vision is whether you're more important at home or at work or it depends on the person kind of thing? I've worked with people like that. And I, you know, once I have the permission to coach them, I often ask them, what is that costing you? You may be very successful and by the world standards have all the money and material things. And by the world standards, it looks like you're doing really good, but at home, you may be going through a divorce. You may be completely empty. You have no friends. And so what's it costing you? And are you really that happy? So I'm not afraid to go there. 
I obviously have to have the rapport to be able to ask those types of questions. But usually when I see someone who's really, who's so far down that success route, they're always meeting their goals. I'm always curious, what is this costing you? You know, and are you just as successful in your marriage or your home or your personal life as you are with your professional life? And usually those types of questions lead into how happy or unhappy they really are. Yeah, this is one of those topic areas where I'm a little torn. And you're right. You need the appropriate trust and safety in the room before you can have that discussion. So that's not a session one thing that, or not even session two, session three, maybe well into your coaching relationship. But I see this a lot on LinkedIn. People talking, we talk about work family stuff. We build houses of leadership with people. And it sounds like your thoughts are very similar to ours with regard to vision and principles and work, family, self, and some of those other components. You probably experienced this in your Coast Guard career. There are times in your career where you got this gigantic W and family's still important to you, but you're gone. One of my daughters asked my wife, is daddy in prison? (laughs) What do you mean? Well, he's never home. So there's that side of it. But then there's also the side that if your 20-year vision is transforming the path of your family's lives forever, and you've decided, you and your bride have decided that's what it's going to take, then it might very well be the right work-family self-balance. As long as you're having those conversations with your significant others, and there is some balance, it can't be 100%. But I've had jobs, even when I wasn't deployed, I was working seven days a week, 20-hour days. It was just the deal. There's certainly some, uh, you have to take risk and you have to find that balance sometimes. And sometimes you do have to sacrifice for a season. Because, you know, you have this great opportunity or it could be really good for your career or this could lead to that. But I liked how you said it. If you're talking to your significant other or talking with your spouse about it and you're making an informed decision, then you're both leading in the same direction rather than you just kind of saying, well, I'm going to do this. Well, then you're going to end up alone or without your health (laughs) or both. Yeah, case in point, I was... um, Probably a year ago, I had applied for this program in the Coast Guard and where it was uh, a special program that I applied for and they, they accepted me. The assignment officer called me up because they, they said, hey, you'd be really good to this program, but it would bring me back on active duty. And I was like, well, you know, I'm a new dad. I like my wife and I want to stay married. And uh, what do you got in this area? And I'm in Virginia Beach. And she said, well, I don't have anything, but I do have D.C., and we would let you geobatch or, uh, you know, you can telework two days a week and be here three and make, just make it work out. And I declined. And she was just like, I'm shocked that you declined this. And she's like, but then she said, it's refreshing to see somebody who actually puts their family values first. And I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry. But I think it, it comes down to your vision, but then also what, you, what your values are. Yeah. And one of the things about the houses of leadership we build with people, it's their house. They get to choose. And yours and my role and Lucas's role as coaches is to facilitate those choices, not put our own judgments over them. You mentioned, okay, I'm a leader. I should be able to do this father father thing, you know, like you imagine it. But it's like the first time that 30 year, that 20 year in the future becomes like this concrete thing. Like you're going to look in 10 years and still be continuing the project and you're not going to move to another job necessarily. Do you think 
that aspect of like some fathers maybe don't have that vision of like I haven't had this project that's been long term in my life before this and do you think it kind of helps from coming from the leadership background in your opinion oh 100% yeah I was reading books even before my son Evan was born I was asking every dad in my my network my men's groups I asked him two questions what book should I be reading and what should I expect in the first year of being a dad? And the, the funny thing was what I started noticing, and this is why I kind of started Mr. New Dad, is because I started seeing this trend in the answers or this theme in the answers that, oh, you'll just figure it out as you go. You'll, you'll figure it out. And I'm like, you know, I don't like that answer. You know, it kind of puts you in that place to be lonely. And, and, and it's like, no, I, I, want, I want to know your wins, your challenges, your your losses. How did you get through that? What made you to be, become a great dad? And so I'm not afraid to ask those questions. And, you know, I have a great dad and I, I, I've even asked him some pretty, some pretty raw questions and it, and it turned into a pretty great conversation that I knew nothing about from when he was a young, young father. I was just curious. I think a lot of men could value from that experience. So I think it ties in beautifully. So a coaching culture, like leadership, we all have a little bit different definitions of leadership. And I'm sure we have many good, strong definitions of coaching culture. For me, the easiest way I've been able to explain it is 20th century analog style of leadership. We would have put our arm around Lucas and said, this is how we did it in 1984, Lucas. And it's probably going to be okay for you. And now in this 21st century digital world, not that the two are related, analog and digital, but I think it's a nice metaphor. As a leader, we're having the courage to grow him and let him discover for himself and facilitate that self-discovery. I'd be curious to hear how you uh, put that into words. There's certainly a big wedge between my dad, calling the boomers, and me. <laughs> and even, even, you know, I'm 40 and people that are in their 20s now, I'm just like, you know, I, sometimes I don't even relate to them. Yeah, it's funny how quickly that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what I've learned is when it comes to a coaching culture is regardless of age, regardless of position or title, I can coach anybody. It's our coachable if they're willing. And if you have those coaching skills in your organization, in your teams, in your leaders, that they know how to really ask questions and be more creative and less reactive, they are going to take you and your company so much further because you're stopping from giving all the answers and you're empowering your people to come up with the answers on themselves. And that's from John Mullen's perspective. I think a lot of the young, younger leaders, even younger than me, are wanting. They want to be a part of the conversation, but they want to be empowered to be a part of the group. And so if you can learn to empower them by learning some basic coaching skills, listening and asking questions, you're going to be so much better. That kind of reminds me of the concept of like survivorship bias, where maybe in 30 years, I'll be like, oh, I was a great father. Here's all the things I did right. But I'm ignoring maybe all of the things that went wrong that I either didn't know about or that, you know, didn't affect me personally because I got lucky. So is there a way to kind of communicate that to somebody younger? You know, I had my experience, but you probably have a different one. I think so. And their life 
is, is completely different than yours. It's their story. It's their house. You know, what are they building? And I think as, as great leaders today in that older generation, you know, we have that ability to ask them, hey, what kind of house are you building? What's it look like? Are you happy with it? Is it on sand or is it on a rock? You know, what are you building it on? And so I think that's where, you know, some of those conversations can really come into play is by, again, being that curious leader and asking them those questions. And I think once you learn how to do that, you're going to start to bridge that gap between any generation in the workplace. But yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, your story is always going to be different than theirs. And whether you are mentoring someone or coaching someone, if, you know, it's a different conversation. If they're coming to you as a mentor and they're asking for that advice, hey, what did you do when you were challenged by this? Or, you know, I don't know what to do and I need help. Which hat do you need to put on? Yeah, for us, and it's never absolute, like most things in life. Do I have time to grow them? And if I do, I'm probably going to take the opportunity to coach. Now, we also have the red staple uh, stapler analogy that if they want to know where the red stapler is and it's sitting right there, that's probably not a coaching opportunity. Just show them where the stapler is. I love what you said about they have their own life. And that's so insightful because we could be twins, grew up in the same house, but you don't know my thoughts when I lay my head on my pillow at night. You don't know the experiences I'm having when we're not together. And so certainly when we're coaching, we have no idea what went on in your life in the last seven days since I saw you. It's ironic. You know, Robin Williams is famous for saying, you know, you see people and you have no idea what's going on in, your, in their life. So be kind to them. And he was probably talking about himself in hindsight, blinding statement of the obvious. But yeah, that's a beautiful thing about coaching is we never pretend. And I'm not saying mentoring is dead or coaching is a uh, replacement. No, certainly not. It's complimentary. Tell us one of your success stories. People are sometimes hesitant about coaching because it's hard to sell the magic until you've seen the magic. So tell us one of your success stories. I know you have one. We all have. I have one right here always. I know exactly who she is and where she is. Brag a little bit. Tell us some of the magic. Wow, this is a great question. I'm I'm going to share why I started in, investing in, in a coach for me. In my early 20s, when I didn't know any better, I was young and dumb and I got married right out of high school and uh, it did not last. And then uh, after we divorced, I was 22 and I was single from 22 to 36. Really didn't date a whole lot. And so I never really put myself out there. But what I did do is I focused on me. I focused on myself, my own growth, my business, my career, Coast Guard. I was traveling all over the place. An assignment came up, I'd take it. And I did it. It was fun. I had a great career so far. But then once I got into my mid-30s, I was just like, you know, I'm not fulfilled. I want that, that other part of me that I really have always wanted. And so I knew I had to make some changes. and. Um, you know, I was very involved with the church and I was doing all these men's groups. And even a friend of mine told me, he's like, you know, John, if you, you do all this stuff for the community, you do all this stuff for the church, but you know, if you're always going to these men's groups, are you, are you really ever going to find a woman there? And so that kind of made the shift. And so at that time, I actually hired my coach more as a personal, I would say personal life coach really to help me get out of my own way because I realized that the path that I was taking was not leading to where I wanted to be in life. 
he's been my coach for five years now. But in those first, I would say six months, he pushed me and he made me realize just some of the, the limiting beliefs I was holding about myself. We changed that. And then two months later, I met my wife. So coaching works when you put yourself in that position and be like, hey, why is this not working? I do all this stuff. I do all this community work. I'm involved and it's just not, it's not happening. Well, sometimes you just need to have that conversation that really just kind of like that conversation that pisses you off. And he's like, all right, it's time to make some changes. I still remember to the date he asked me something that I just, I didn't like the answer, but it forced me to make some changes in my life. I like uh, how you put it about, you know, having um, a belief that changed and then went on to change your behavior is, I mean, from our perspective, we know, you know, that's what coaching enables. Can you kind of describe that to a layman, like how the belief might lead to an action, you know? Oh, 100%. Even with the question of, hey, you're doing all this and, you know, you believe that this one thing is the way it's going to be. You know, your beliefs lead to your actions, you know, and up to that point, I thought I was okay, but it wasn't getting me to where I wanted to be. And so I realized that I had to make some changes. I had to make some changes in my beliefs and my thoughts if I really wanted to achieve getting married or finding my spouse or, you know, whatever that may be. You had to make some changes. And only you can answer that question. So I think, you know, to the layman out there who's never experienced that, imagine having a conversation that really makes you think about X. Do you know why you believe that about yourself? Or do you really know why you believe this about the result? Do you really believe that? Or is it limiting you? And oftentimes what I've seen is we hold on to a lot of limiting beliefs and we have those blind spots that really hold us back. And until they're willing and able to kind of shine a light on those things, they'll never be addressed. And so from a coaching perspective, and I think it's such an honor to be a coach, we get to ask those questions that forces them to shine a light on that area that they may have been ignoring for their entire lives. Yeah, absolutely. We get to create inflection points in people's lives every day. It was incredible. I was in a coaching session at 4.30 this morning with someone literally halfway around the world and there was growth and that leader's life will never be the same again. And you and I and Lucas get to do that. It's really, really cool to be part of that. And when you have a coaching style of leadership within a coaching culture, you get to do that. And you're very purposeful about it. I think I've heard you use that word a couple of times, purposeful. I think you need to be on purpose, especially when it comes to your growth as a leader, your growth as a business owner, your growth as a manager or, or a husband or wife or in any area of your life. I think you have to be purposeful about if you want to achieve X, you know, what is your focus? Is it on the goal or is it on growth? You know, you may be able to hit the goal every time, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to grow. But if it's on the growth, you're always going to hit your goals. So I think a lot of times you have to be aware of what is it that you're really striving after and who can help you achieve that? Is it a mentor? Is it a coach? Is it a therapist? Is it a counselor? You know, I have mentors. I have a strong tribe of, of people that are surrounded by me. So when I have important decisions I need to make or I'm frustrated or I need to vent, I know on the 23rd of every month we get together and we talk for two hours and everybody gets a seat in the hot seat, answer some questions and share their, 
their wins, their losses, their challenges. And then the group asks, hey, how can we help you succeed? But that's my mentors. That's my tribe. But then I have a coach that I meet with once a month. And that's a different conversation. Yeah, as I'm hearing you, uh, several themes are emerging. And one of those is what is the difference between therapy and coaching? And again, so I'm a Marine. I know you're a coastie, but we'd like to keep things simple. Therapy looks backward and heals. Coaching look forward and grow. And then you've talked about growth and a growth mindset. That's so beautiful. And that's part of what coaches do. We introduce the realm of the possible that this isn't fixed. It's your self-limiting perceptions. It's your self-limiting behaviors. It's a fixed mindset, perhaps. And those aren't frozen. So... I guess something that, you know, you see with a lot of like technology and apps and things we interact with, it's like lots of times they're optimized in one way while ignoring like human factors. So it's like, I guess the joke is that they got a technical degree, but they didn't study the humanities at all. Do you think that, you know, coaching and emotional intelligence and and things like that, do you think that's kind of like it helps against these tech aspects that are taking over our lives, you know? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. I think a lot of people who are so ingrained on using technology and less ingrained on the humanity side that oftentimes they don't know how to communicate. You'll appreciate this, the Marine in you. I'm a former chief, and then I got my commission about midway through my career. But there was this young J.O. who was just getting his butt reamed. And what he did was he was wrong, and he took it. And he, he went into the office with the chief and the, uh, the master chief, and they talked about it. Do you have any questions? No, I'm good. All right. Do you learn your lesson? Go forward. The young J.O. goes back to his computer, writes up this long, scathing email, and sends it. He's like, I thought you were good. He's like, well, this is the way that I communicate. But when we're like this, you can't communicate. I'm like, well, there's a problem. And I think it's easy to rely on that digital communication. It's not effective at all. You need to know how to have conversations because otherwise it's just going to really hurt you and make you look like a fool. And Lucas is secretly asking you that for himself. He's a computer <laughs> yeah, scientist. Is a selfish reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's okay. We'll let you get away with that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was... Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.